When a teenager gets behind the wheel of a car with their driver's licence for the first time, it is a stressful time for many parents. Speeding, getting distracted by the mobile phone, or peer pressured into taking passengers on a learner's licence, they're all perilous for the young driver. So what's actually happening with the teenage brain, especially while driving? How can parents best talk to their teens about safer driving? Neuroplasticity educator and parenting expert Nathan Wallace has teamed up with road safety expert Greg Murphy and the vehicle safety and training provider AutoSense to run a series of road safety talks for young drivers and their parents. He's in the Tamaki Makoro. No, he's not. He's in the Whanganui Atara Wellington studio. <laughs> Kia ora, Nathan. Kia ora. How are you? Really good to see you. And you too. Um, this will be really popular with parents because, honestly, you know, mm-hmm. parent, parenting's about a life living with constant fear. And this is one of the biggies. And I was just regaling you, like, apart from the teenage brain, when you're first learning to drive, I remember the first time you're out in the open road and you're trying to work out, is that enough time to pass? And mm-hmm. You accumulate over time knowledge yep. about driving. Yep. And so these kids are both doing this and they've got what they've got between their ears. Yeah. Which is <laughs> not a lot. <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that. Like, yeah. It's a big step for a young person. It, it means it independence, it's freedom. Um, but, you know, let's talk about what's what they're having to do with that noggin when it comes specifically to the stresses and pressures of driving. Yeah. I mean, it's worth understanding that we've only known that, that there is a teenage brain for about the last 25 years. It wasn't, you know, before we had brain scans, we just had tape measures. And if you're measuring someone's skull, it stops growing at the age of 10 to 12. So for most of history, we thought adolescence was psychological changes happening on top of a biologically adult brain. It wasn't until we had brain scans you could see, well, it might not grow after the age of 12, but it's certainly not online until much later than that. And in fact, now we know that there's a whole cohort of people that don't really reach adulthood till 32. Mm. Yeah, I'd be in that crew. It's basically boys who are not the firstborn. That's right. Are likely to be the ones. It's fascinating, that are isn't it? So yeah. you might have a firstborn daughter who's pretty much got an adult developed brain as early as 18 or That's 20. That's right. Yep, yep. But someone else might yeah, be. The boy you had two years later is yeah. going to take till 32 to get yeah. the same level of intelligence. So yeah. it's a wide topic when we talk about the teenage brain. But generally, the teenage brain is primed for risk taking. Because evolutionary-wise, that's when you needed to go out and find your partner. You needed to cross the boundaries to go to the next village. You know, we wouldn't have achieved anything as a human society without the teenage brain. I like pointing out, because a lot of parents have a... I mean, I did it myself before, saying there's not much going on in there. But really, um, every single invention that has advanced mankind in any way has come from the brain of a teenager. No adult has ever invented anything of significance. The computer, the car, the steam engine, you name it, come from the brain of a teenager. In fact, no adult's ever come up with an idea that's advanced human society. Um, Isaac Newton, Albert Einstein, both of their major contributions come. I mean, Isaac Newton was when he was in lockdown as an 18-year-old. Albert Einstein spent the rest of his career trying to top what he did as a teenager. So it allows for a wonderful period of creativity because of that risk-taking, but that doesn't match up very well with giving them a car at the same time. When their brains are primed, they get an endorphin buzz from risk-taking. So it is a dangerous period. That frontal cortex, brain number four, that you really need for driving, they just don't have the same access to that. that you we talk have. about the um, uh, the reconstruction that happens around that age, the yeah. shutdown that happens around yeah. that age. I talk about shut for renovations in the frontal cortex, and that means that their emotional brain has a turbocharge put on it for all the reasons that we just said that encourages risk taking. I mean, I, the way it stands out to me is I remember going bungee jumping when I was 18, and it was such a thrill. I went straight back up the hill. I was a poor student, but I used my credit card to pay for it so I could do it again. So this time I could do it with my eyes open because the thrill I got from it. I went to go bungee jumping at 40, and I backed out. I was like, we no, just I don't want to do this. We just calculate everything. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, we've got a work basketball team, and, 
yeah. <laughs> it's it's getting better. <laughs> but everyone's so you know, and I just said no way because I know what's going to happen. And yeah. and like if I was younger, it would have been of course don't care about the yeah. finger dislocations and the retina and everything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we just calculate. More yeah. towards safety as well, yeah, and those t- things take a lot longer to heal at mm. our age than it they did at eighteen. Too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so that is a, that's a life stage, as you say. It is healthy. It's yeah. an important part of development, but it means, unfortunately, the risk taking when you bring when you put the risk taking into an arena that is built with risk. Yeah. And this is another thing when I think of driving now, and, and, and drivers do this, you are constantly anticipating. You are constantly, what if a kid comes out here? What yep. if a car comes out here now? What if I come around the corner and a car's broken down? Yeah, yeah. Good driving is about constantly anticipating what could be. Yep. Now a kid's good at that. No. No, that's a part of the brain that is shut for renovation. So that anticipating future stuff, even their reaction times are a bit slower. So yeah, no, it doesn't make for a good recipe, but we're not likely to lift the driving age to 32. So, um, yeah, it's about trying to mitigate that risk. And I think parents understanding their teenage brain, like, for instance, uh, the one that comes up all the time is this um, having other drivers in the car. You know how we pay more insurance for under 25-year-old because they simply have more accidents? When you separate the 25-year-olds that had adults in the car or by themselves, they don't have a much higher accident rate than over 25 under 25-year-olds have an accident, most of them are because they've got other teens in the car. And that's because, biologically, your limbic emotional brain basically trumps your frontal cortex. So that means if I'm in the car with my 18-year-old daughter, then she's probably engaging her frontal cortex. No, let's not say 18, but she's not a firstborn. Let's make her 17, so she hasn't got an adult brain. Um, She's going to be in her cortex, probably, as she's relating to me. As soon as another teenager gets in the car, her brother, a friend, any other teenager, her brain automatically shifts down to that um, to the limbic emotional brain. So you've got way more chance of having an accident when there's another teenager in the car. And I don't think parents realise that. I think they just think it's about they need a bit of practice by themselves first. But it's actually one of the most dangerous times for your teenager. So this learner's licence where you're not allowed to carry mm-hmm. passengers has a real, has a real weight behind it. And so yep. you have to really... Hold fast to that That's one right. with your kids. And that can be difficult. I know. I didn't understand that fully when my older kids were driving. And I remember getting one to pick up the other one from sport every Saturday just to facilitate it. So I understand how parents, especially if you're rural, mm. the idea that you've got to pick them up individually, you can't get the brother to pick up on the way, seems like a pain. But if I think if I'd fully realised... That why that precaution was there, I probably would have made the effort to go and pick her up myself. <laughs> Sorry for all the anecdotes, but I'm just having flashbacks now. I'm driving, I'm driving up, I wasn't driving, I was in the passenger street and going up to a ski field. This was long before I learned to ski and the whole day was a disaster, frankly. Right. Um, but the driver, who was a very exuberant kind of character anyway, spent yeah. the whole time turning around and looking at us as he was driving up Mount Hart Ski Fields oh. Road. And like the whole car was going, would you please look at the road? Yeah. But that's what you're talking about. The, the yep. brain is connected into the social interaction Absolutely. and is showing off. Yep. And, and even we as kids knew, would you just look at the road? <laughs> yeah, that's you scary know? going up to those ski fields. Is, you know. So, mm. okay, so that's what we're dealing with. Um, mm-hmm. And... So the first point is be be really really hold the line on that you're on your learner's license. Yep. You are driving with an adult. You allowed to drive with an adult? Yeah, yeah, you're allowed to drive with a fully licensed. Fully driver. licensed driver, yep. but but not with other kids. Yeah, that's right. So how do you communicate that so that it doesn't happen? You hold the line when yep. you're in control of it. How do you communicate it so that it doesn't happen when you're not around? Well, I think the key for me was explaining that science to my younger kids. Like I said, I didn't know it for the older ones, but for the younger ones, it was saying this is why we do it, giving them an explanation and coming 
coming from an angle of, I'm not trying to wreck your fun, I'm trying to keep you safe. And like we said at the start, this is one of the most dangerous times of your childhood in many ways when we give you a car. And we, we do build up experience and we start to predict things, but they don't have that ability yet. They haven't had the experience to predict. So getting them to understand it's, it's not just being killjoy, there's real reasons for why you're doing that. Decision-making, let's say if they're on their own, and again, just before we came on here, I was chatting about you actually have to learn how long it takes to pass a car. Yeah. You actually have to learn, and I'm sure there's defensive driving courses and all sorts of instructions on how to judge distance and, and, and everything else, but a key thing is if you have pulled out to overtake yep. and you're not sure now how that's going to go, yep. you drop back in. Yeah. Um, and that teenage brain again, and I can recall having one, is just like, I've, I've, I've started now, I'll just go for it, yeah. it'll be all right. Yeah. No, you, you no. have to b- build in some reaction, automatic reaction mechanisms, yep. don't you? Yep, you do. And that teenage brain, I mean, human beings have advanced and, and, and evolved and moved across the planet because we developed this naive optimism that, oh no, I'll be all right. So you're actually not very correct in your assessment. You, you're encouraged to be a risk taker because that's what's made us advance. Times that by 10 for the teenage brain. So they're not naturally going to do that. They've pulled out. You and I say, oh, there might not be enough time I'll pull back. They're more likely to go, no, no, I can do it. No, I can do it. I'm bulletproof. So, yeah, that's a real um, dangerous time. You mentioned the defensive driving course. I think they're completely useless, those mm. defensive driving courses. They're a money-making machine. Mm. They, their own ex, um, what is it, Waka Kotahi, did their own research to show that People who do the defensive driving course are absolutely no safer than people who didn't do the defensive driving course. But they make $24 million a year or something from it. So, so. what can you... Um, well, I mean, you're working with Greg, so maybe bring yeah. in some of what he brings to the table here, whether it's ways of communicating with your team. Yeah. He's obviously got the kudos, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and what's some of the practical, useful stuff you can talk about that might yeah. get through? Greg's actually um, taken me out on, on, a, um, on a country road and, and taught me about ABS brakes and how they work. He, um, he ran a course, it was a practical driving, defensive driving course that was hugely popular, but of course it's really expensive. So they lost funding and that's now you know, in hiatus. But and that's what he advocates, that we need to actually have practical um, driving lessons. If you're going to do a defensive driving course and pay for it, you should get behind a wheel and be taught something. Um, yeah, as far as communicating um, with teens... So much of it's about the emotional brain. You know, you've got to you've got to make them feel competent and then you're not being overly critical and constantly criticising. I mean, that's an art form. I don't think I was very good at teaching my first kids to drive with my white knuckles and holding onto the dashboard, you know. That does not help them to calm down. So, <laughs> and your foot planted to the passenger seat floor. Yeah, 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 that's on your right. your imaginary brain. That's right. I remember my youngest daughter <laughs> on her last driving lesson, I just remained calm the whole time, you know, and she said at the end of the lesson... What happened, Dad? Like, you know, that was the that was the best driving lesson ever. I thought you weren't your knuckles weren't white. You didn't. I was like, oh, I grandparented you, because I'd already become a grandparent by then. So I learned how to parent in a way that didn't show any anger, or you know, and be really positive and help them. Um, but I mean, we're modeling, we're to wanting play. to model them driving with their emotions under control. Mm-hmm. So best we model that as well. Yep. Being in that calm state as mm-hmm. best as possible. Being yep. in a focused state. Yep. Yeah, um, when I think of modelling, I think uh, one of the big issues, when we surveyed parents as part of this, and um, the biggest concern for parents is their kids being distracted by the mobile phone. Mm. I mean, peers come in, I think, second, but Mm. it was the mobile phone. And we're increasingly, you know, I know, I've heard of two people now that have passed away because of texting. Really? You know? I mean, a third that I don't know, but heard of. So it's becoming more common. 
Um, I'm actually too frightened to text someone when I know they're driving because I would never want that yep. on my conscience. So if they're like on a long journey, yeah. I tend to not text. Oh, good on you because I'm mm. amazed how many people know I'm driving or if I'm late for something mm. and they're all ringing me knowing I'm driving. And I'm mm. just like, if I answer the phone, I've got to stop. I'm going to be even later. Mm. People people expect you to answer. Um I think you're the same as me. I'm not a native digital, too old for that. So I know I would never try and read a text while I was driving. Mm. But um, when I started this campaign, I thought, well, that's good. It would be a bad look to be on this campaign for not texting and then being seen texting. I was amazed to find out how often I do pick up the phone uh-huh. to look and see who it's from. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't read it, but I look to see who it's uh-huh. from. So if I'm going to need to pull over or something. Uh-huh. And just to break that habit was quite difficult. So it gave me a bit more empathy. I mean, I have to actually get in the car now, turn the phone on silent and put it over the other side or in the glove box. Well, you know these kids too. They can have six devices going on at once. Yep. It, it, it's not like they are not, and we're going to bring some research out here. It's not mm-hmm. like they're not capable of having dozens of devices going on at once and constantly being distracted. The problem is all the research says you cannot do two things to a high level at once. No, you You can't. cannot, no matter how... Smart, you think you are with that yep. damn phone. Mm-hmm. You are distracted for that moment from what you're doing. Yeah, and that moment is longer than we think. When mm. I have a quick look and say, "Oh, yeah, that text from Claire," mm. um, that's it's actually four seconds on average before I can focus on the road again. It might only be one second from me looking and going back again, but your brain, when it first goes back, is really just based largely on prediction, predicting what you're going to see. It takes about four seconds in total before you're actually seeing what's in front of you. There's two things here. One is to talk constructively about driving and to build up this sense of competence and confidence. Yep. And then the other is how to get the don't do messages, of which there is a long list. Yeah, yep. Do not get in that vehicle if your mate is drunk. No, yep. And, and how hard is that? You know, yeah. sometimes when there's no alternative transport, yep. are you going to be the person who's left on the side of the road somewhere in the dark and nowhere to go because you weren't going to get in that car? Yep. How do you talk about that stuff? You mentioned yeah. emotion. Do you bring it as a parent? Do you say, don't do this to me or to us or yeah. to your grandmother? Yeah. How do you do it? I think you've got to give them a safety mechanism to get out of it. You know, um, so um, my kids, um, you know, I told them that if they were getting in the car with a drunk driver, then they could ring me, and it didn't matter what time it was, you know, I would rather come and pick them up. Um, so letting them know that, that I, they won't get a hostile response ring and waking me up at 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, yeah, I think that's a big part of it. It's hard for the teenage brain to say no to another teenager. So when all the other teenagers are going, oh, don't worry about it, man, he's only had a few drinks, he'll be fine, he's a good driver. It's quite hard for the teenage brain to go against their peers. So you've got to help them, you've got to give them some mechanisms. I gave my kids a safety word. So if they text me or on the phone use the word, I use the word relay. Um, if they use the word relay or text in their message the word relay, anyway, that was a code word to say, get me out of this, Dad. Come and save me. They don't have to look stupid. I just be the grumpy dad that rings that up and says, you get home right says, now. There you go. That's brilliant. And this would be mm-hmm. the same if a bunch of kids on learner's licenses are supposed to be getting in the car. The yep. same thing. You want to save face, yep. but your gut is telling you, or, yeah. or you've had that conversation, don't go there. Yep. So I just said to you earlier. So much of this is about luck. So much it of is. our lives is about mm-hmm. luck. When it I is. think of the stuff I've got away with over my life yeah, and might so. not have and the close calls I've had and, and might not have. Yep. Not everything, but, but you know, and so you just want to increase your odds. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Of yeah. luck. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. And, okay. the, and I also gave them a get-out-of-jail-free card. So even if they'd done something wrong, even if they had maybe snuck out and they didn't want me to know that they'd snuck out, but now they're in a dangerous situation, they had one get-out-of-jail-free card. Well, you could ring me, I would just come, rescue you. There'd be no consequence, no punishment, mm. um, you know, because I needed them to know that they can ring me and not be scared of the consequence or because they've broken a rule. 
Mm. So they weren't allowed to do it all the time, but one get-out-of-jail-free card. I think a one mistake in adolescence is, is okay. It's not bad. <laughs> yeah. Alex says, I'm most concerned about enabling my teenagers to prepare for a life without having to drive at all. Cars are death machines, and as a parent, I want a future for my children where they don't need to drive. Instead of indoctrinating teens into driving dangerous cars that are one of the highest causes of death for young people, what recommendations do your experts have for helping avoid driving for teens altogether? Yeah, that's a difficult one, especially if you're rural. Yep. I mean, I've got friends that live in Sydney that don't drive because you don't really need to. There's all the public transport and, you know, the car's just an extra expense and it probably takes you twice as long to drive somewhere as it does to walk. But if you're living rurally, mm-hmm. um, that can be incredibly difficult. So, it's a major is, issue in prisons, the number of people without driver's licences, and yep. when they're released from prison, they can't get a job for some reason. They're, yeah. they're working rurally or whatever. So. Yeah, 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 you do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that might be a time in the future, but driverless cars are a lot further but away. But also, a think. lot of kids are getting their licences later and later, and yep. perhaps that's something not to be discouraged. I mean, no. honestly, 15 on the dot, I was out there. Yep. Um, but but there, are, the, there are fewer and fewer people getting their licences at that very early age and stage. Yeah, yep. I think you've got to assess, like, um, one of my children I just thought was a bit less coordinated than the other kids, and I didn't think, you know, I had one that I thought you'll be quite safe now, at, you know, at um, 16, another one that I thought, oh, I want to delay as long as possible. And so I don't want to say that to them and, and have any sort of put down, but when they asked for driving lessons, I delayed a bit, and um, you know, and I didn't encourage it. I didn't say, we're going for a driving lesson, but I let them completely self-manage it because they're not that good at self-management so it took a lot longer and that one didn't get their license till 18 and I think and they're a brilliant driver now um who teaches by the way I have to thank my sister who's an outstanding um teacher and she doesn't have any responsibility for my driving now but it was a full year right before and this was the difference back then again Mm -hmm. with the way you learned to drive there was no learner's license or whatever yeah but honestly I had to do a three-point turn U-turn on the second steepest street in Dunedin with a yeah. handbrake start, yeah. <laughs> and, and but just lots and lots of driving. Yeah. But how do most kids these days do they go through sort of school-based lessons or, or private? Yeah, they get school-based lessons. A lot of people just get taught. They get by, enough driving. No, they get taught by their parents, or if the parents are particularly wise, by their uncles and aunties. I think mm. you're probably more mm. patient with your nieces and nephews than you are mm. with your own children. Um, but a lot of them just do that defensive driving course to take six months off, which has no pass or fail yeah. rate. You know, you just have to go and sit in a room. You don't get behind a wheel. As long as you're there, mm. you get six months off. So they're really just interested in getting to that end result so they can drive by themselves right. and have drive their friends Drive and drive and drive and drive and drive and drive. Okay. Mm. Uh, any tips for those with ADHD learning to drive, asks this emailer. Yeah, well, that's even more challenging, isn't it? Because their brains are primed for uh, risk-taking even more than everybody else. So I would say with that person, focus on the ritual stuff. You know, that um, you get in the car, you put on your seatbelt, you um, check the side mirrors, you check the... It's the same stuff we're doing for everybody else, but with ADHD, you have to really ram those things home and have them ritualised. Model them the rest of the time. You know, when I'm teaching the kids to drive, I'm going to get in the car and do exactly the same thing, do it in the same sequence. You know, I'm not going to adjust my mirrors first and then do the seatbelt. When you do it in the same order, seatbelt, side mirrors, rear vision mirror, you kind of get a body memory that kicks in as well. And that will help the kid with ADHD to remember to do all those things if they're done in the same sequence each time. Actually, that's a great lesson for anyone learning to drive. And you've just said something really important. Don't be the person who gets in the car, swears at everybody, won't let anyone pass, won't let anyone come into their lane and, and tailgates yeah. and expect your kid to be and a And think your driver. kids are going to be a great driver. That's exactly <laughs> okay. right. One more. Can you ask your expert on the teenage brain if it has been wired by a neuroscientist or a blind apprentice electrician? Thank you, Gerald. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. We'll, we'll like leave that. it there. Yeah. Thanks very much, Nathan Wallace.